I just have a question for uh, some, several questions for these ladies. Uh, can you tap it and make sure our microphone's good to go? Okay, so we're good. All right, how about you uh, pass it around, introduce yourself, share how many age so that we, um, so we kind of know what stage of mothering you're in. So go ahead. You don't think it's on? I thought I heard it. No? Hello, hello, hello. Okay. Uh, my right. name is Dulce. I have two girls, uh, one and a half and then two months. Okay. So new mom. My name's Deli. I have five kids um, and uh, a granddaughter. She's here today. And um, ages. Oh, ages. Um, so my oldest is 25, and then my youngest is 12, almost 13. Uh, I'm Crystal Hartman. I've never actually talked with a microphone before, so I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I have two children. My daughter Lila is 18, and she is in college right now, coming home next week. And my son Luke is 16. Okay. All right, so my first question for you ladies is, what do you enjoy most about mothering? I have to go, go first because yep. I have the microphone. You got the microphone. <laughs> okay. Um, first thought, um, I really love their little faces. <laughs> um, but I think um, the most joy is because I feel like it's what I'm supposed to do that it's my, I'm fulfilling my purpose. Sorry. We can come back to you. Okay. Yeah. Um, I liked almost everything. I did not like science fair projects. But other than that, I loved pretty much everything about parenting, I think. Um, I loved their faces as well. <laughs> Didn't think of saying that, but um, I, I did. I, I, loved, I loved having them around me. I loved grocery shopping with them. I would bribe them to go with me. I'll buy you ice cream. Um, I, loved, um, I loved the daily routines, the ins and the outs, the, the mornings, the nights. I liked all of that a lot. Um, I really loved seeing who they became. Like It was kind of like constantly unwrapping something because you'd see different abilities, different skill sets, different interests. And so I loved constantly unwrapping, like seeing what came out of them, um, and then kind of directing them in that. Um, I, I loved routines and holidays and traditions, super fun traditions just kind of happen naturally. Um, I love instilling character in them, like um, various um, character traits um, at, you know, at six, I usually started I think about six months, so maybe somebody thinks that's young, but it was really fun to watch them about six months start practicing self-control, and I usually started with them in the high chair throwing their spoon. Um, so that was really fun, I'd pick a character trait to work on, self-control or delayed gratification as they started earning money. Um, lying. I. Well, truth-telling. Um, I, I always had that one really big cleanliness, like get as dirty as you want during the day, that you start the day clean and you end the day clean. Um, so I just, I loved just kind of figuring out where they were going and then giving them tools to kind of help them in their life become that person. Um, so it was, it was delightful. We loved watching um, kind of like the different personalities come out, helping them understand themselves. One of the biggest things I really like, um, and I don't know that I had words to put to it then, but um, I think it's super important to be our kids' emotional regulators. 
and they don't come with emotional regulation. So being able to reflect back truth to them, who they are, help them make sense of their lives, um, like make sense of why they feel a certain way, or um, it was just all fun. It was, it was super fun. Um, it, was a, it was a good job description. Uh, what I love most about being a mom is kind of the same thing, just seeing them learn and understand. I know my babies are really young, but they grasp so much so quickly. It blows my mind every single day. Um, and then something personally that I love is being a stay-at-home mom. I recently just gave up my career when I had um, my newborn, and I never saw myself being a stay-at-home mom ever. Um, but I really love what she's talking about, just the routine and every day just being able to be home has been such a blessing to me, and I'm really grateful for that opportunity to be home with them and you know, just instill into them the things that I want them to, to have as they grow. All right. And what do you consider success in mothering? Um, Short-term success to me is when my one-and-a-half-year-old goes in the potty. That's huge. Um, Long-term success is them not just loving the Lord, but knowing why they love the Lord, really understanding the gospel, not just because I grew up in church or this is what my mom said, but having being able to them themselves defend the faith to me, that would be success as a mom. Um, so similar, success is, um, I think, obviously pointing them, obviously, to who they're meant to be in Christ, who they're meant to be as people, um, you know, um, I, I never get this quote right, and I won't get it right, but Einstein says something along the line of, if a fish spends his life trying to climb a tree, he will forever be a failure. Um, and I, you know, kind of, we tell our kids they can be anything. I don't believe it. I think they can be exactly who they're meant to be. Um, I think they can be exactly, have all the skills, all the tools, they have it, and we just have to bring it out and validate it in them. Um, and so I think if, you know, to be success means to... Um, that they grow up, first of all, knowing who God is, knowing truth about God, knowing truth about how God feels about them, because I don't think we all arrive with that truth in us. Um, we think God feels very differently than he actually does. If they know who they are, um, if they are um, confident in their abilities, their skills, their, um, their, their purpose in life, um, I think that's successful. Um, and, and if they're able to fulfill that purpose. I. I want very much for them to be happy, but that was never the main goal. Um, I want them to be who they're meant to be, to be holy, and um, I think then, I think if I've done that, and my husband has done that, then we've been successful. I think it's, it's hard to measure success when you're not finished yet, um, but I and I feel like the answers that I've thought of this week are a lot more shallow, and I'm not sure why you put me beside your wife. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but um, to me, I think um, success in mothering, um, I see it in relationships. Um, I think the relationships, if your children still desire to have a relationship with you after they leave your home, I think that that is successful. I think um, right now what I see is the relationship between my son and my daughter and it's so special. And that is that makes me feel like that was a success. Okay. Is there a scriptural principle that has been helpful to you as a mother? 
I think the idea that our children um, don't actually belong to us is one that, um, that I go to a lot um, in all different circumstances when they do something really wonderful um, and I feel really prideful about it. I have to remember that they're not really mine, that I'm just um, trying not to mess them up too badly. Um, um, and on the other side, when I go to bed and my day has been a disappointment and I feel like a failure as a mother, I have to remember, I'm supposed to remember, not to hold that. Um, I'm not very good at it, but I'm supposed to remember not to hold that and to give that back to God and, um, and, just, and just pray for my children. Um, so, as when I was trying to parent, um, when they were younger, I would often look at like just the concept of what would God do? How does he parent? And I would just think about that for a bit and go, on. I know exactly what to do here because it's, it's what I would see God doing with us. So I use that overall dynamic, that relationship a lot in trying to figure out how to parent. Um, but I think probably the scripture I used wasn't so much for them as it was for me and my favorite verse. And if you ever come to my house, it's up on my walls and in my office and tattooed on my body. Um, but is be still, um, my favorite verse. So I think probably for me, a lot of what I did was I practiced basically being still pretty much every single morning, Saturday morning, maybe not so much, but every morning started the day with being still and grounding myself, being calm, so that when they arrived in the kitchen, um, I was calm. It was, I was there, it was peaceful. Um, and I'd already been up, usually for hours. So I, using that, that scripture, be still, but also that principle of being still internally, being calm, being collected, um, and starting your day off balanced internally, was absolutely a game changer um, for me. I don't know how people do it that don't start like that. Um, so that would be what I'd really recommend is be still and start your day balanced. Um, but more than that, I think also then look at, you know, how God parents us, what he does. A big one right off the bat um, for me was God does not move things. He says, don't touch things. And he leaves them and trains us to have self-control. And so I went, oh, okay, I'll do that. And so one of my first battles with any, with, well, with my oldest sitting out here was don't touch that. And he touched that. And so we battled it out for, I think, over an hour. And he was probably 18 months, nine, I don't know. He was pretty young. Um, and I think, you know, throughout his life, we've seen the fruit of that. But basically, yeah, practice self-control and look at what God does and do that. Um, I think the scripture, in this season at least, is, you know, the first Corinthians 13 where it says love is patient, love is kind, um, but specifically the love is patient. I think there's a reason why it says love is patient first, um, <laughs> because I really need patience, right, with my kids at home all day, but I remember specifically one moment I was so frustrated, so impatient, because my daughter was being impatient, and I'm like, oh. And I just remember the Holy Spirit really impressing in my heart, where do you think she's going to learn patience from if it's not from you? And that just hit me so hard. Um, so that verse, I really hold on to that. Love is patient. I have to be patient if I expect my kids to be patient. Um, 
So that's just the scripture I'm holding on to in this season. I really need patience. Okay. And then this next question, just two will answer because of the age of their children. But what are some tips or do you have any tips on uh, mothering young adults? Because that's a different stage. Um, my number one tip would be uh, grace. It's really, really hard to be a teenager. Um, and if, if they can't find grace in me, if they can't receive grace from me, where on earth are they going to go? Um, I want, um, no matter what, I want to be their safe space and, um, and just love them. I think it's just grace. So, um, I, I think, and I just attended a seminar, so some of this brilliance is not from me, um, but when the, they were little, I remember starting to kind of um, incrementally give them power and letting them choose and letting them then have the consequences of whatever their choices were. So if they you know, made a mistake or whatever, forgot their coat, I mean, it's, it's cold. Um, so rather than rescuing them from all the, the consequences of their choices, I tried to really incrementally give them choices that were age appropriate. Um, and as they grew, I remember getting into high school, it got scarier because I, I kind of went, okay, that's a little weightier there. If you fall there, that hurts a little more. Um, but it, it, was, it was great. They all did fantastic. And so if you give them incremental choices and power and they grow into it, then they don't hit 18, 20, 21 college years and all of a sudden have the weight of all their choices on them without any of that internal equilibrium that they gained throughout their childhood. So I found that to set yourself up for really good successful launching, start young, um, start super young with that um, so that they have confidence in their choices and they know how to handle disappointment, um, but that they also, they have that feel, it's like walking, they get that internal balance. Um, that would be one thing I would, I would really recommend. Um, so, and one of the things I learned at this conference, it was fantastic, was, um, but it, it was really true, um, is that <laughs> we are kind of, we think of ourselves as the authors when they're young, like we're the author of their story. We tell them where to go and what to do, and to eventually realize we are not the author, we're not even the editor, we're more of like a co-editor or consultant, and we start backing up. And um, one of the things they said is basically if we help them write this book, if, if we think we're the editor or the author, they're going to kick us out of the book. And so we won't even be in it. So really to give them choices um, and, and to trust them with those choices and to be more of a consultant as they grow older. Um, yeah, that, that's, I'd, I'd start young. Okay, and the last question is, what is a mothering mistake you've made, and what did you learn from it? Um, in the very beginning, it was definitely comparing as a mom. I was a new mom, so that was a big thing, especially in the time of social media. Everyone has opinions. Everyone, the best five tips of being a new mom, right? Everyone has five different tips. Um, but definitely comparing in the beginning was a big mistake of what was best for me and um, my family. Uh, and I think also having just selfish expectations of what motherhood looked like for me was a big mistake as well. And just the, the faster I just learned to 
not care what people were expecting or what I was expecting selfishly, but just making sure that I was doing what God was expecting, right? Um, what was going to give him glory and honor and just doing what was right before God. If I just focused on that, things got a lot easier. Just the voices got a lot quieter and they just didn't mean as much. So it, it just became a lot easier being a mom once I kind of just shut out all those other voices trying to tell me how to mom. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I made three mistakes. Um, the first one was I repeated myself way too much. Um, and they have informed me of that. Um, just yesterday, repeated myself again. So turns out they actually get it the first time usually, but you know, if they would let us know they get it, that would be really helpful. So I repeated, I repeated myself a lot and could have saved a lot of breath there. Um, another thing I, I did that was not helpful um, was I thought I knew who they were becoming. And so I kind of started going, oh, well, this is the path for you. And so I started guiding them in that path, and it wasn't at all where they wanted to go. So um, poor Jack, he's laughing. Poor Jack got stuck in an um, engineer career path at high school, and it's like, I don't want to be an engineer. I, I, he wanted to go into ceramics or um, pottery. They would not let him out. Nope, you're an engineer. So he got stuck in that path, um, and, and it wasn't who he was. It's not what he wanted to become. And for some reason, I thought, oh, this is who you are. And I did not do well with that, and so kind of really guided him inappropriately, and he got in a rut. So he, he's figuring that out now. But yeah, I, I made assumptions about who he was as a person. Um, and I think the other, and, and obviously I've made a whole lot more mistakes all the time, but these are kind of like the three big ones that I look back over and I go, oh, this was a big one. I made assumptions about how they felt and what their internal narrative was about themselves and about me. And so as they grew, I thought, well, I, I know how they feel and I know how they think. And I, it turns out I was actually pretty wrong on several times um, throughout their life. Problem is, is when you make, when I made assumptions about how they were feeling and how they were behaving, and I knew why they were doing that, all of my behavior was based on my interpretation of them and I was wrong. So then my behavior was not making sense to them because I was wrong. Um, and so until I figured out, oh, that's not how you're feeling, that's not why you're doing that, um, it, it, it didn't make sense and I couldn't quite figure out what was wrong there. But yeah, I was, I was putting on them who they weren't and I was putting on them emotions they weren't feeling or motivations. And so I was putting a wrong narrative on them. Um, and one of the things I learned in the conference was um, if you focus on a child's behavior, you miss the child. And not that we don't correct the behavior, but we miss what's really going on in the kid if we focus on the behavior and just stopping it. Um, we, we've got to go far deeper. So, um, yeah, and apparently, according to my children, another mistake I made was I, I unintentionally taught them to have a huge fear of birds, and I, I hear about it. Um, somehow I learned, I, I, had, I thought birds were, um, had disease, and so apparently I, again, repeated myself too often when they were young, don't touch the bird, now they're just, we will not touch a bird. So, yeah. And Crystal has a parrot. Oh, we uh, do, we and, do. And she can tell you how to handle kind of an ornery parrot, so <laughs> how, to, how to mother her. Yeah, she's like a toddler with feathers. Um, so mistakes, so this is the one I had the hardest time with thinking about this week. Um, I think I can think back on mistakes at all different stages of 
in my kids' lives. Um, we also homeschool. Um, I've homeschooled my kids all the way through um, from kindergarten, so I think um, I put a lot of that on me too. So I go to bed every night. I, I thought I thought that all moms did, right? That we all go to bed at night and we think over our day or we overthink our day, like my husband would say. Um, thinking about the things that we could have done differently or that we should have done better. And then I wake up the next morning and I just pray to be a better mom than I was the day before. Um, so I can't think of big things. I, I try to think about it every day. Okay. All right. Let's give them a hand. Thank you, ladies. Appreciate it. All right. Let's pray and we'll get into the message this morning. Dear God, we thank you for each person here. Lord, we're grateful for holidays that remind us to appreciate others, appreciate those who have invested in our lives. Lord, I do lift up those for whom Mother's Day is hard. Maybe mom has passed away. Maybe it's a woman here who always wanted to be a mom and did not get that opportunity. Uh, Lord, I, I pray for for those who are hurting on a day like today. And so I just ask for your Holy Spirit to comfort and encourage. Lord, we thank you for those who serve in different roles that are kind of mom-like um, in our lives. Maybe it was a youth sponsor, Sunday school teacher, um, a coach, a, you know, a, a, just a woman down the street that just kind of invested, an, an aunt, um, a foster mom. We have those in this congregation as well. And Lord, we thank you for those who who step into that role, even though there's not that blood and flesh uh, relationship. Lord, I just pray that today moms would be honored and encouraged and challenged. And Lord, we thank you that you are the ultimate parent and that we can look to you um, as our father, but also having some of those traits that we tend to look at and think of in a, in a kind of a feminine view. Lord, we thank you that you have that nurturing side that you love us wholeheartedly. And Lord, we are just, um, we just ask for your blessing on our time together in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning, I want us to think about uh, motherhood and what that looks like. And, you know, maybe you drove today to church in a minivan full of little people that look like you, right? And and the reality is that motherhood is difficult, that parenting is hard. I appreciated one author who said this, said, sometimes I feel unqualified to be a parent. I call those times being awake. <laughs> and that's how it can feel. Uh, we live in a very difficult culture in many ways, a very broken, dysfunctional culture. One author called the culture we live in currently as a tsunami of foolishness. Things that are wrong are called right. Uh, and it's just, it's a difficult time to raise children. And yet parenting is this incredible privilege and responsibility. It's a divine assignment. These children are a gift and stewardship from God that we have been given. And we thank you for, we are so grateful to our moms who have stepped in and ministered to us in so many powerful ways. So as I thought about being a parent, being a mom, what's the bullseye? You know, whether you're throwing axes at the new place here in Fairbanks or whether you like to shoot the bow and arrow, whether you're a gun person, what's the bullseye 
when it comes to motherhood. And as I thought about that and prayed about that, I came up with three keys, and you'll have to kind of wrestle with these and think about them and put them in your context, because I think every parenting journey is a little different. But I think these are huge, and I think they're part of the bullseye. And the first is to build connection. To build connection. If you're an outline person, there's an outline in the bulletin. And I don't know about you, I always turn my phone off when I get on a plane and fly somewhere. That's just how I like to do it. I don't do the whole airplane mode usually. I just turn the phone off. And when I land somewhere, Seattle or Indianapolis, I go back and see my folks and that kind of thing. And I turn it back on. The phone starts searching for connection. And that's not a bad image of this child that you're handed. This child is searching and looking for connection. And the most basic, the initial connection is with mom. I mean, they're part of mom. They're within mom. They're literally connected by that, that umbilical cord. And so we are all wired, hardwired for connection. And so this is where you want to, this is where you start in your relationship with your kids as you build that connection. Do your kids feel loved by you? When they say for the hundredth time, mommy, look at me, and they want to show you something, do everything in your power, if you can, to stop and look, to actually listen. I mean, taking a walk with a child is a different experience than walking by yourself, right? But if you'll just slow down and enjoy it, it can be powerful. And these are moments of precious connection. And so it is important that you just constantly look for ways to build that connection with your children. Nobody goes to the end of their life and, you know, on their deathbed says, I really wish I had spent less time with my family. I mean, I don't, I've never heard anybody say that. Connection is so important. Connection is how you get to what's behind the behavior. So often we're so behavior focused, particularly if, I mean, I remember this, you know, when we had you know, all these kids and we'd try to go to a restaurant and, and I always felt like it was like there's an alarm clock in the middle of the table in the restaurant. And at some point the alarm clock's gonna ring and we're done. Whether we're done with our food or not, it's time to go for the sake of everyone in the restaurant. And that's just how I felt. But those, those moments are connection, those eating together, those hanging out, those talking. Relationship matters more than just modifying behavior. It has its place. Make home your safest place for that child. You have no idea what they're going to face at school. You have no idea what they're going to face when they go work. But love, that connection, is at the bedrock of every happy family. That was interesting. One PhD student who did a lot of research and, and looked at different studies, and they said that the one overwhelming um, factor that stood out when they looked at children that grew up in the church and stayed in the faith, that com continued in their relationship in adulthood uh, with God, overwhelmingly what came out, the number one factor, there was more than one, but the number one was that they felt loved by their parents. That that relationship was an introduction and a key to the divine relationship with God Himself. 
And part of that building connection is thinking about what we say. This is why, you know, you heard love is patient is so important. Because words are powerful. The Bible talks about the power of words in Proverbs 18.21. It says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Probably most of us have something in the back of our minds where mom or dad said something in frustration or anger that they shouldn't have said, and you still remember it. Most of us have had that moment. Most of us have given that moment to our kids. Words are life or words are death. And so we want to build connection through our words and what we think about and what we say, what comes out of our mouths. Um, according to research, they say a good ratio is about five positive for one negative. There are times you absolutely have to correct your children. Absolutely. But try to keep it five to one if you possibly can. And sometimes building connection, it, it's not brain surgery. It's just simple stuff. It can be something hard to fight for in our busy culture, in our, in our society, in our schedules that we kind of max ourselves out. But let me give you one example. According to the research, there's a way, there's a method, there's a simple exercise that parents can do that will have all these benefits. Let me read you the benefits and you think about whether you can come up with what this activity is. It gives your child a 40% greater chance of getting A's and B's in school. It makes your child three times less likely to try marijuana or other drugs, two times less likely to smoke cigarettes if you practice this activity, this ritual. It helps teenagers know that their parents care about them and are proud of them. It helps uh, young people know that they have a safe place to talk about problems with their parents. It, helps, it has actual physical health benefits, according to the research. Now, the answer to this, what is this, you know, this must be huge and complex and very difficult. The answer to that is the regular family dinner. Just eating together on a regular basis has a profound impact on children. And yet, that's harder than it sounds, isn't it? You got a couple kids in sports, all these different activities, maybe you get, as they get older, part-time jobs. But that is one thing that I just encourage you to really think about. That is a beautiful, simple activity that can help. So build connection, Mom. That is a bullseye item. The second way you can be an intentional mom is to promote Christ. You know, love is like oxygen. We need it. It's necessary for life, but just as oxygen has a source, love has a source, and the ultimate source is God himself and expressed through the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. The Bible says in 1 John 4.19 that we love, we love, we're channels of love because he first loved us. And so we want to be people who promote Christ. If you're a mother, take that very, very seriously. And the story of Christ on the cross and the resurrection is at the heart of your parenting and your thinking. Look for opportunities to share that. I can't tell you how many books, how many Bible stories my mother read to us, my sister and I. And, 
you know, sometimes they were very blatant, sometimes they were actual Bible stories, but other times they just kind of lended themselves. I'll never forget, my mom was reading the Narnia series, and many of you have watched the movie or read the books, and I don't remember our ages exactly, but my daughter, my uh, sister is two years younger than me, and she was really little. And when we got to the scene where the lion Aslan, who is the Christ figure in this allegory, in this metaphoric piece of literature that C.S. Lewis wrote, where he offers himself for one of the children because of his sin, and he dies on a stone table. I'll never forget my little sister going, that sounds like Jesus. He was making those connections through literature, through something as simple as reading a story that we found engaging. There's power in those simple ways of promoting Christ. Children want the real deal. You want to give them, you know, if you have a, a button-up shirt, you know, if you get that first button wrong, then the shirt is all messed up, right? And, and so there are certain truths in life that are what they call top-button truths. And getting Christ right changes life completely. And so it is so important that you point your children to Jesus Christ. I hear sometimes moms will say, well, you know, I'm just going to kind of, um, you know, hold back and, and not really sow that much. They'll make a decision when they get older. I'm encouraging you to sow as much as you can. Now, not be oppressive or you can't make the decision for them, but sow into your kids, point them to Jesus Christ. Let's be honest here. If your child grows up and does what the world finds and defines as successful, and they have the great job, it even looks like they have good relationships, and they have all these things. They have, you know, just amazing cars and, and get to take wonderful trips. They have a life with incredible memories and experiences. But they go to hell? Is that success? No. No. And so, success, you can't make the decision for them, but success as a mother is promoting the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the bullseye. And it can be done in lots of different ways in the middle of all the hectic nature that makes up the life of a mother. Susanna Wesley, who I love to read about, she had 19 children she gave birth to in the 1700s. Uh, several of them died when they were just babies, four died at birth. Terribly busy, had all these children, and honestly, her husband was not that helpful if you go dig into the story. But she was a devoted Christian mother, and she poured into those kids the Bible and truth and pointed them to Jesus Christ. One of my favorite little things she would do out of her sheer desperation with so many children, uh, she taught them that whenever mom would go sit in the corner and flip her apron over her head, that meant she was praying and don't bother her. And she said most of the time she was praying. I suspect probably a nap or two in there, but <laughs> she didn't admit to that. And her ministry came the great John and Charles Wesley, really the founders of the Methodist Church, uh, these remarkable individuals that had a profound effect for the kingdom and understand that they would not have had the lives they had 
and the values they had without their remarkable mother. It's been said, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, and there's great truth in that. Influence, incredible influence in motherhood. Now, I want to share a passage that probably, here's my guess, no other minister on Mother's Day in the United States today is sharing this particular passage, but I felt like I should share it because I want, to, I want to throw this out here. I want you to think about this. I have known hundreds, maybe even thousands of Christian moms. I've been in the ministry 27 years, grew up in the church, and have all these connections. And I just want to say that one of the struggles for moms, at least in my opinion, is that it is easy to make the children number one in your life. And that husband doesn't touch that spot, and I don't think he should be number one. But even over God, even over Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that. Because here's the thing, and the Bible's very clear on this. Even something good, even something beautiful, as beautiful as your love for your children, even something like that, if a good thing is made the ultimate thing, the Bible calls that an idol. You know, Jesus made these shocking statements in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And you're like, what? What is that? Why would you put that in a Mother's Day sermon? Because I want you to understand this. Jesus is number one. He's above everything else. That's what this is saying. He's not literally saying hate those in your life. He's saying in comparison, the devotion the dedication, the commitment to Jesus Christ is above everything. And here's, here's the thing about it. If you do that, your kids see it. If you do that, they're drawn to him. Hard to do. But understand, we are to promote Christ. This is bullseye stuff when it comes to parenting, when it comes to moms. The third idea is to construct character. Construct character. This is the behavior modification. This is going deeper than that. But this is part of it. You are teaching that child right and wrong. You're helping them to be solid. One thing that annoyed me as a kid is, and I never knew, but you get an Easter basket, and I loved Easter baskets, but you get the chocolate bunny. And what you don't know is a small child, when you're older, you can read it on the box. But you get the chocolate bunny, you bite into the chocolate bunny expecting the solid chocolate bunny. And you get the hollow chocolate bunny. We need solid children. In this culture, you better believe we need solid children. Your children have to be trained to be Esther's and Daniel. For those that don't have a church background, those are Christian people, followers of God in exile. In a culture that is doing everything in its power to drag them into paganism and not into faithful following of God. And so moms are the front line. Moms and dads 
of constructing character. Now, that means there's going to be some rules, but understand, undergird that. That's why I talked about connection first. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. There are rules. There are some things that need it, but it's more than that. It's not just active disobedience. You're building character. Author Paul Tripp gave an example I appreciated. He said, if mom's frantically preparing for some big gathering at the house, and you look in, and you see the 13-year-old and the 11-year-old and the 9-year-old, and they're playing a video game, and mom's frantically preparing, and you look at that, there's something wrong there. Now, they are not breaking a rule. They are not, they're, they're being quiet Mom may not even be thinking in the right direction here. They're being quiet. They're playing together well. But mom's frantic and mom needs help. See, they're not being defiant. They're not breaking a rule. But character, developing characters going, hey, mom needs help. I should lean into that. I should step into that. And older children can learn that. We don't need to raise up hollow children. We need solid children. But the reality is, we cannot teach, we cannot give what we don't have. The most powerful thing you have, in many ways, is your own example, your own relationship with Christ, how your character is being changed. And so it's so important that we do this. Try to view motherhood, even on the worst days, not as being a warden or a cop, but a teacher that comes alongside and develops character. My wife talked about kind of the battle with our oldest, and we did this with all the kids, and of, of you leave something on the coffee table. Because it seems like most people, you know, I, and I, I'm not saying I'm anti-baby-proofing your house. I don't want my kids sticking their finger in the light socket and all that. You know, take some precautions. But don't remove everything. Don't remove everything. Leave something that you're going to fight the battle on. And she got this idea from Genesis, I think, the idea that um, so God puts them in this incredible garden. They can have all the fruit and vegetables, all everything they want throughout this garden. And yet right in the middle is this tree. This is the one tree. Don't touch this tree. Don't eat from this tree. Doesn't remove it. Doesn't hide it. Doesn't have a big fence around it. Develop self-control. And so you fight those battles early. Just one other little thing I would throw out is, you know, as parents, we tried to say yes. We tried to fight the minimum number of battles. But if we picked a fight, if we picked a battle, we won the battle. That's absolutely crucial. And so it's important that we construct character in our children. It's been said that an ounce of mother is worth a pound of clergy. And I think that's true. Proverbs 22.6 says, Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Celebrate the wins. When you watch your, your kid get older, and he turns around and helps others on the wrestling team, or he volunteers, or he becomes a coach and invests in others, or he's um, kind to the foster kid that you've taken in, celebrate those wins. Appreciate that. It is so important that we construct character. 
you know, maybe your small child, I won't say which one, but we've had this happen where, you know, they steal something from the store, you know, little, little one. You take them back and make them apologize. That's, that happens. One of the things that helps us is, is we're willing to construct our own character, to be a work in progress, and to allow your kids to see that. When you have more than one, since we had five, we felt like, okay, we're learning as we go here. And my wife came up with an idea that I loved, and so when they would go off to college or leave the house, we would do an exit interview with our children. And so when we sat down with Joe, the oldest, um, we do this exit interview, and we just ask, what's it like to grow up in our home? What did we teach you? What do you wish we had taught you? Is there any unresolved conflict, anything that we need to talk about? Um, that was rough. He gave us a card for his lawyer, but no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but you might grab that if you have multiple children, because the way we viewed it, we're like, okay, you know, we have four more, and so Joe, we, let's get feedback from our oldest. I mean, we can do better on the next one and the next one. And so we did that exit interview with each child as they leave the home. And I think it helps. And the big key is we haven't arrived as parents. They know that, but it helps them to know that we know that, right? It's important that we're open to hearing what would be helpful. See, parenting is kind of like scaffolding when you're building a building project. The scaffolding is not supposed to you know, stay up forever all around the, the building. The scaffolding kind of steps back, taken away. Now you want to keep that relationship, but you have to build the building, build the character, and allow them to grow and become all that God wants them to be. So my big idea is this. The big idea is that motherhood is a high calling, one that calls for connection, Christ, and character. And each of those needs to be sown into the next generation. I'd like all the moms to stand. I just want to pray over you. Can we do that? Moms, please stand. Dear God, I just lift up each of these women. We thank you for their incredible role None of them would claim to have done it perfectly, but Lord, they love their children. Lord, I just pray that you will bless them, give them wisdom, uh, give them your grace and encouragement wherever they feel like they missed it, because we all have. Lord, I just thank you for the children that you have entrusted to them, that incredible blessing that you've given in a son or a daughter or multiple children. Lord, I pray that they will continue to invest in their kids, even when they're adults. I pray that they will have a multi-generational ministry to their grandkids. Lord, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to go before them and to lead them in life. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Could you applaud all the mothers? Give them a hand.